Politics. I haven't been so well since my resurrection <laughs> for humor, but here it is. I've been listening to my favorite podcast, Mouse and Wings. <laughs> well, get the truth. Your nickname is so fun to say because it kind of already makes you go wee. I like it. It's mouse and wings. Then it brings out your wrinkles. Whoa! You got more of the wrinkle jeans than I did. You guys, we're sisters. That's why we're looking at wrinkles. You've always said that. You have the dad wrinkles. I got the you're mom. You're not supposed to back it up oh, and say. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, you're supposed to say no. That's not no true. No wrinkles at all. You're perfect. You're beautiful. It's not true at all. No, never. I'm hiding behind my microphone because I had oral surgery. This is Joelle. I'm okay, mouse. let's see it. I'm the mom one. You had oral what? Oral surgery. Joelle. I had my implant removed. Ready? I'm going to flash it really fast for only those of you on... YouTube, ready? Okay. Ah! <laughs> I'm missing a tooth. Pop it out a little more. Let's no, see. No, I don't want to. I don't that want was to. Nothing. I'm very embarrassed about it. Look, this Why? episode is all about authenticity, being who you really are. I'm Good. not quite there yet. I guess okay, on let's the see queer scale of being authentic, I'm not quite there. No, you can Joel. rewind it if you really want to see it. Okay. All right. Okay. I'm Joelle. I'm Mouse. I'm the mom one down in San Diego. I am Weens. I'm Julianne. I'm up in LA and I am uh, in the film business entertainment world. Yes, she is. Look at her. Done. She is. And we have a special guest for you today who she met and is friends with Allison Arngrim, who we interviewed before. So go back to those episodes if you want to hear the mention. But Steve is an amazing person. I researched him heavily and was like flabbergasted, does anyone say that word anymore? Yes. By all of his accomplishments, but just by his life story, you know, the path that he's taken. So you guys will be interested to learn about him because he is a gay reverend minister in a Christian church. Okay, first of all, that's just one thing. But kind of what launched him into fame is that he was one of the first patients ever to have AIDS, and he was uh, reached out to by Tammy Faye Baker of the famous evangelistic couple, Jim and Tammy Faye, and she interviewed him, and it was kind of a life-changing wait, wait, wait. moment. Wait, can I, can I just, um, sure. he wasn't the first person to have AIDS, oh. but he was the first person to have the a drug that Antiviral was like medicine. the ground zero. Yes, yeah. yes, sorry. Yeah, so he really was a game changer in a lot of people's lives in the LGBTQ community, especially in the 80s during the time of AIDS and HIV. So we are going to talk to him. He is a survivor, and his story is amazing. He has gone on to be featured in so many publications. Um, this interview with Tammy Faye kind of launched him into talk shows. He was written about in multiple books. There are documentaries, and he is in them. He has a new film coming out um, centered around kind of his interview as well. Uh, we'll talk about that. 
And we even found and Jessica out. Jessica Chastain is in it. Very famous actress. Right. Yeah. It's amazing. Andrew Garfield. Um, he was at a uh, presidential prayer meeting in 1993 with President Clinton, Vice President Gore. He was invited to that and uh, spoke with Clinton. I wrote down his thing. We didn't get to talk about it in our interview, but Clinton asked him about a vaccine. And Steve said there there is no vaccine. Uh, it's mostly about education. And that was referenced later, a month later, in uh, President Clinton's speech about in, on World AIDS Day. So it was very pivotal stuff. People kind of know about this man that Tammy Faye interviewed that kind of changed the world of AIDS activism. And he has since gone on to help in a million different AIDS organizations. He's gotten awards uh, left and right. Smithsonian. And he's got, yeah, stuff featured in the Smithsonian Institute. So... It's it's kind of a cool story. And a movie being made right now about his life with very prominent actors and actresses. That's right. It's amazing. Very and much. he's touched so many lives with he's helped people who are dying. Yep. And he's a chaplain. He's um Yeah, just a beautiful person. Still performing sermons uh ver- virtually for people and very involved in the community and just a wonderful person and Julianne's like And the Gaiman's ha- Choir of Los Angeles. That's right. And she's lucky to have him as a friend, and I'm lucky to meet him by proxy and hope to in real life real soon. So anyway, let's hear this wonderful interview with Steve Peters, everybody. Here we go. Our friend, I love you, Steve. I'm just going to start right there Aww, and say you're beautiful. You yeah. Aww. And I'm so glad that you could do this. We are so excited to have you today. Absolutely. I'm delighted to be here. I'm so glad that you asked. You have an amazing story. I spent all today, I feel like I'm back in college. I crammed for this interview. I learned everything there is to know about you. Oh, my um, God. (laughs) (laughs) No, with lots of gaps. You have to fill in lots. But, oh, my goodness. The first thing I want to say, my first impression, I love your hair. I love your fun smile, and you're just, you seem like a fun person, and from what Julianne's told me, you really are, and... Oh, well, I, you know... I love this. Life is <laughs> short. Let's have fun. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I know. So, I heard you sing a song, and a lovely song, on your Facebook page, all about your kind of ordeal, but why don't you start us with that? What was your uh, oh, okay. song about... The uh, medical anomaly song. Yes, yes. Yeah, right. Well, you know, b- back in the '90s, I was, uh, you know, people were, people in my church were talking about how oh, you're such a miracle. You know, the story is such a miracle, and all of that. And and in the medical world, they were the doctors would say, "Oh, well, this is you're a real anomaly." You know, <laughs> and, uh, um, and so I was thinking about this and thinking about it, thinking about it, and I thought. And out popped these lyrics to an old Gilbert and Sullivan song, uh, and I wrote them down. and And I've sung them for uh, all kinds of different audiences, and and uh, online and offline. And um, my doctor recorded it on her phone so she could play it for her colleagues at the NIH and the CDC. And and so apparently, Dr. Fauci uh, asks my doctor, Dr. Levine, after me. Um, through the years, and so really? she's still alive. Yeah, yeah, wow. still a medical wow. anomaly. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You are. That is amazing. Can <clears throat> we go into that a little bit? Why are you a medical anomaly? Well, 
Um, I first got sick with what we now know as HIV disease or AIDS in 1982, uh, not even a year, like six, six, seven months after the first report, the first published report of AIDS. Uh, uh, I, I started getting sick with it. And um, I was diagnosed in 1982 with GRID, gay-related immunodeficiency. And that's what they were calling AIDS back then. Um, and, uh, you know, they didn't, they didn't know enough about the disease to even be able to give me a prognosis at that point. Uh, but, you know, as, as time marched on, we all could see that everybody who got AIDS died, right? Uh, and um, in 82 and 83, I, I had hepatitis, cytomegalovirus, pneumonia, mononucleosis, herpes, shingles, a variety of fungal infections, including a fungal infection on my foot, which caused these huge painful blisters. Mm -hmm. And one of the dermatologists I went to trying to find a, a treatment for it uh, said that, oh, he hadn't seen it since he was a medic in the South Pacific in World War II, and that it was a fungal infection that came from walking barefoot in sheep dung in New Zealand. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> Steve, how was your trip to New Zealand? Yeah. No, I never went. I never, <laughs> went. never went. I never stepped in sheep dung. Wow. Um, I, did. I did, however, step in some standing water at the gym. Um, wow. So uh, your body was just, it didn't know how to deal with anything. Its immune system was just shutting down. Exactly. Yeah. And, and people with AIDS back then picked up all kinds of strange things that nobody ever saw in healthy young people before. Right. Uh, and I, that was, you know, that was one of them. So I was sick all through 83. And, and uh, then they came up with this diagnosis called AIDS. Um, they hadn't discovered the virus yet, so there was no test for it. But the, the, the diagnosis of AIDS was defined by one of five specific diseases, and I didn't have any of them. So I had GRID, which was AIDS, but mm -hmm. I couldn't be diagnosed with full-blown AIDS until April of 1984. I was diagnosed with stage four lymphoma and Kaposi's sarcoma. And Kaposi's sarcoma is what gave me the diagnosis of mm. full-blown AIDS, finally. Mm. And I was, I, I was given by one, one of the nurses. The doctors never gave me a prognosis. Well, that's not true. They said, one of them said, well, you know, you might live 18 months to two years. Um, but um, the, a nurse read my chart and said that they didn't expect me to live to see 1985. Oh my that God. was eight months away. So I was given eight months to live. Wow. And, um, How does that feel when someone gives you, I know this is a basic question, but were you in a state of panic? Were you in a state of acceptance? No, no. God, denial. I mean, you know, uh, no, not, not even denial. I was scared to death. I mean, you know, I just was terrified. Um, and I was scared of how sick um, I saw other people with AIDS being, um, and I, I didn't know a lot of people who had AIDS, but I saw other patients at the hospital and I could see how sick they were. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh my God, that's my future. And everybody that I heard of who was diagnosed with AIDS died. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, you know, at the age of, what was I, 32, that my, my life was over. And 32. I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have a future. 
Oh my gosh. And this is something, I mean, it was the early, early days of being diagnosed and there was there so much shame associated because it was a gay disease right. and I, we've talked about a lot of your you know past growing up and the time that you did yeah it was a rough time being gay and, and yeah. what year when were you born do you mind talking about that oh no not at all i was born in 1952 so i am now approaching 69 rapidly yeah. <laughs> you look great though you look yeah. great Look hey, you really yeah. do. I don't even dye my hair. It's still God. blonde, you know? know. It's crazy. Brown. Yeah. But yeah. you do kind of have an Einstein look. I like it. <laughs> Thank you. We funny, we wrote it down, Julianne said we have to be sure to ask him about Einstein. So what is the connection? You were born in that so your dad My dad a, was a math teacher and he was a, a math teacher at Phillips Academy Andover, as well as being the varsity wrestling coach. Uh, there and um, they they would give uh, faculty at, at Andover a year's sabbatical when they were fairly young still and um, so my dad decided to spend his sabbatical at Princeton where he had done his undergraduate and graduate degrees and uh, he went back to Princeton and uh, worked in the math department at Princeton. I was on his sabbatical. On his sabbatical, yeah. So he loved yeah. his job. He, well, he was very unhappy if he didn't have a lot to do. Yeah. Um, gee, could I be related? <laughs> I was going to say, I know we should do when you look at his bio. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. right. <laughs> but um, anyway, so I was two, and Dad would take me for walks in the park, and and we would run into this old man with white frizzy hair out to here, and you know, and all of that, and and this old man would lean down and and you know talk to me or uh, and then sometimes we would sit on the park bench and he would he would love to take me on his on his lap and and bounce me up and down on his knees and and um you know i had no idea who albert einstein was but it was albert einstein that's you know, amazing a, a mentor of my father's and and uh, and einstein was approaching the end of his life and uh he was retired and would take a walk in the park and you know I was too. Dad was proud of me. And he said, oh, here's my little Stevie. You know? uh, so he was friends with your dad. They would just yeah. chat. And- well, I, I would say more mentor and mentee. Yeah. You know, uh, wow. Part of the yeah. same department. That's amazing. I had a college friend whose great aunt, I think, went on a date with him. Does that really? line up? Yeah. Chris Bonner. Wow. He was uh, wow. at UCSD. Anyway, wow. side note. So this was so speaking of your dad, I want to kind of hear your story of what it was like growing up in your how did your parents were they lovely people? How did they accept you coming out? When did you first of all, when did you know you were gay? Oh, well, <laughs> um, I, I, I've known as far back as I can remember that that boys held an extra charge for me. But um I I found a letter that my father wrote to his parents when I was about 18 months old and um and dad was the varsity wrestling coach as I mentioned and uh, every year they would have the wrestling team down for dinner and so this year when I was 18 months old they came in through the door and and uh dad said to in this letter uh, we're so excited because little Stevie said his first words today. We had the wrestling team down for dinner. And as they came in through the door, Stevie sat up in his high chair and said, 
just as clearly as could be, boys, boys, boys. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I yeah. love it. So, oh my god. So uh, yeah, early. So the writing early. was on the wall. <laughs> early. Yeah. I'm taking a class right now in psychology for lifespan development, and it was a whole article about people around three years old know what gender they're going to be associated with the rest of their life. So a lot of people don't know. I didn't know that. Not sure. And so early. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. And, years um, old, yeah. you know, I, I learned, I learned to be, ash- I mean, obviously I wasn't ashamed of it at that point, but I learned to be ashamed of my feelings uh, because of the, the, you know, how I heard the grownups talking about homos, you know, and, um, and one time dad took me to uh, uh, when I was maybe five or six and he took me to the wrestling meet on Saturday afternoon. And, and uh, it, the way in before the, the wrestling meet happened, uh, if the boys didn't come in right under the weight that they were supposed to be wrestling at, dad had them take off their clothes and weigh in naked. And, and I was like, <laughs> Very interesting. <laughs> and and I and I asked my dad about it afterwards, and 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 I and I I must have said something about how how amazing they looked or something. I I wish I knew, and but I do remember my dad going, oh, "We don't talk about that," mm. and he was obviously ashamed. And and you know. There have been studies done of, of, you know, fathers and gay sons. And uh, there are, there's a lot of uh, thought that, that fathers see that there's something different in their gay sons at early and they can sense this difference and, and they're embarrassed by it. And, and they, they are, you know, oftentimes they start shaming the other person. The, the little boy because they feel ashamed mm-hmm. of yeah. their son. Um, Especially at that time. Oh my gosh. Yeah, there was yeah. no communication no, about no, this. No yeah. support. There were no images. I mean, I thought I was the only homosexual in the world Aww. for the longest time. We had no Will and Grace, no Ellen DeGeneres, no, you know, nothing internet. anywhere, no internet, nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so God, how isolating. I, oh I went God. to the library at Andover and, and looked up homosexuality in the in the in the library card catalog. Remember those card catalogs? No, we Dewey Decimal, young, the Dewey <laughs> Decimal system. But I looked up homosexuality, and I found a book, a book, in the library that talked about it. And it was a, a psychology book, and it talked about perverts and deviants, oh, and, and how uh, perverts and deviants uh, who you know were in, in, into same sex um, coupling. Uh, had were destined to hang out in back alleys and be murdered and stabbed and you know and stuff like that and and I thought oh my god is that what awaits me so I would I, and I was aware of being a little of, too effeminate for mm-hmm. an Andover boy I would literally wear rulers up my sleeves to keep my wrists stiff because I, I I thought I, oh my I, gosh yeah. yeah that's so, so hard god. not to be able to be authentic not be yourself. That's so tough. Right. I mean, I guess we all do it to a certain degree because, you know, kids are kids and society is that certain way. But, wow, that's so tough. Now, and you were raised in a church environment, too. So then there's probably an extra element of shame and should. Well, 
I I was raised in the in a congregational church, uh, and and uh, my parents were Presbyterians, and my grandparents were uh, Presbyterian missionaries to Korea. My uncle was a Presbyterian pastor, and my parents were very involved in the church, and and uh, so um, when I was about fifteen, um, I uh, I went to the pastor of our church. And I uh, had an appointment with him and I sat down in his office and I, 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 I don't know how I ever summoned up the courage to do it, but I said, I think I may be gay. I think I may be a homosexual. Uh, and he jumped up out of his chair and started pacing, looking at his library like he was going to find a book that would tell him how to handle this. And, you know, and he was like oh, totally freaked. And he said, he said, I don't really know anything about this. I think it's probably just a phase that some boys go through and don't tell your parents. They would be so upset if they knew, you know. Oh, so, so now you're extra isolated. Right. Don't tell and back anyone, in the closet you know, after you summon the courage to talk about it too. He said, don't tell anybody. Wow. Yeah. wow. So how long did it take you to finally come out and, and talk about it? Uh, well, uh, I went to college at Northwestern and studied musical theater and theater and, you know, and all that. And I performed in a lot of shows, did summer stock and that whole. And you still know, doing it. The the Gay Men's Chorus, Gay of, chorus uh, of Los Angeles. LA, yeah. yeah. I love it. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so uh, I drank all through college and, and, I, and I got the first year out of college. I just drank my shame. You know, I was so ashamed and I, I isolated myself and I just sat in my apartment and drank. And my parents uh, sent me a check every month. So, you know, that was wonderful. But, uh, you know, I finally uh, realized that I had to get honest about being gay if I was going to be able to get sober and stay sober. What year so, was this about college? 1975. Years? I graduated from college in 74. So uh, 75. Yeah, and uh, so I I met a group of gay sober men, and uh, there weren't a lot of resources for us back then, but there was a church that encouraged, uh, was not just encouraged but affirmed LGBT people for being who they are, and and indeed the church was made up primarily of LGBT people. It was called the Metropolitan Community Church. MCC. This is in um, Illinois? Chicago, Chicago. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I met a group of, of gay men and lesbians who were happy and in loving relationships. And I, oh my God, you know, this is possible. And so I dove in and I became a gay activist and I, and I quickly realized that I wanted to become a minister and minister in the gay community with MCC. And, and I went to seminary and, and uh, I was the only openly gay student at the seminary at the time. Wow. And Were that, people accepting of that? <laughs> some. <laughs> the faculty were pretty supportive, but the the students, the other students, some a number of them had problems with me. Some were very supportive, uh, and I'm still friends with a couple of them. But uh, there were students who who just were convinced that it was a sinful lifestyle that was going to send me to hell. Mm -hmm. Which is uh, still such a prominent thought, you know. Oh I, yeah. Oh, I have yeah. very conservative friends that I've gotten into that conversation with, and and it is. It's tough to, I don't know. See, that's great. It's so weird. Being in LA, I think people generally are of the mindset that 
I don't know. How do you feel here, Steve? Because it's oh, I, feel I don't run into safe. people. No, I yeah. feel very safe and comfortable here. And mm-hmm. that doesn't that doesn't deny the fact that there are you know, hate crimes that go on all the time with gay men being beaten or lesbians being beaten or especially trans people. Right. Uh, a lot of trans women are murdered. Um, and an, murdered. And an inordinate number of trans women are murdered. Is this happening in what areas? All over the place? Um, well, I think it probably happens more if, you know, there are some trans women who, to support their transition, prostitute themselves uh, mm-hmm. even before their transition, but when they're dressed as a woman. And, uh, and they prostitute themselves, and the men who pick them up uh, discover that they're not quite all women. They have a little extra, uh, <laughs> and, um, and uh, they murder them. Um, I mean, I've seen that happen with gay men, too. When I was a pastor in Hartford, Connecticut, um, uh, one of the men, well, I, I knew of two murders of gay men that were both, you know, men who'd picked up another man in, in a park or somewhere and brought them home. And when the the other man dis- discovered what the, the host wanted to do, uh, they went into a rage and killed him. Oh, God. Um, oh my gosh. Uh, so... Yeah, it's and it's still happening. That's it's always crazy to me, but then it's not crazy after this whole Trump wackiness. You, oh, know, you know. start to see that true gave, colors. That gave permission. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More, yeah. You know, it's. I'm also all I have to talk about is school these days because that's all I'm doing <laughs> yeah. in my Native American studies. Right. They they were, did not care who was what. Men lived together. Yeah. People dressed as women who were men, and it was no problem in the Native American community as far back as they that. have found in a bunch of different tribes in Africa. And yeah, so we're so strange here in the yeah. colonized European. <laughs> the Judeo Christian tradition is full of homophobia. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, I mean, it dates way back centuries, you know. And we're no longer saying homosexual, but gay. Can you tell us why? Homosexual is a very clinical term, uh, in my opinion, and it describes a person's sex orientation, sexual orientation. And being gay is so much more than that. You know, being gay is accepting your homosexuality and, and making it a part of your whole identity. And, um, you know, uh, I, I had a friend back in Hartford who's long since died from AIDS, but, um, but when I was in Hartford, he was, he was a very brash, blunt kind of guy. And he, he, used to, he used to say that there was a real difference between homosexuals and gay men. And I was like, what? Uh, and yeah, and, and he, would, he would point to a guy who was like deeply ashamed of himself or you know, just uh, not being out and proud and he would say that's a homosexual uh and wow. this is a gay man who the, the one who is proud and is, who integrated his sexuality into his uh personality and his life mm-hmm. uh, so so it's more of a that's lifestyle an interesting distinction and then queer yeah. queer is kind of a all-encompassing yeah maybe this maybe that it doesn't describe it uh specifically as i understand it but I'm not as in the community. Yes. Is that true? Queer is a more generic term for some people. 
that describes lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people were different. And so we're queer. Right. And queer was an epithet that was used against us. And so we have owned it and made it our own and transformed it into a term of pride. Right. Uh, it's a positive thing. Yeah, it's a positive thing. And straight people can be queer. There you go. Yeah. You know, right. If, well, when you think about the whole spectrum too, right? There's yeah. there's a spectrum of, of There's a spectrum of sexualities and How can straight yeah. people want to be queer? I would like to be fabulous. Oh, well, <laughs> well, I think that in some ways you are queer, Julianne. <laughs> no, thank you. I, yeah, I've got on all my <laughs> I don't know Joelle enough to know whether you are, but uh, She's also. Um uh yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm right up there. Queer is just like, you know, I'm different and I'm celebrating how different I am from the rest of the world. And, you know, I'm proud of who I am and, and, and I don't care who knows how weird I am or how queer I am or whatever word yeah. you want to use, but it's, it's like just being proud of being, you know, radically different than your, you know, your colleagues yeah. at work or something. The average, yeah. average Joe or Jane. Yeah. So this brings so now we're back at you have come out you're in college. No, I'm past what, college by the You're past college. Okay, this is when you are a part of the community of your church and right. what happens 75, then? 76. Okay. Well, I I had this spiritual awakening that uh was just a huge huge change because I had basically rejected God and rejected all of that religious crap you know and all wow. um and and now i was part of a, a faith community a church a christian church uh and i i'll never forget it but i on october 17th 1976 i was sitting in church after the sermon and before communion and i had this what some people might call a white light experience where I suddenly realized with a clarity that I had never known before that I was supposed to pursue a calling to the ministry. Wow. Yeah. And I just knew it. I was sure of it. And everything felt peaceful. Oh. Everything felt right. I have goosebumps. That's great. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, so you do, yeah. I did pursue it. And and whereas my theater career uh, prior to, I mean, after college and prior to this consisted of people slamming doors in my face all the time, you know, uh, when, I, when I decided I wanted to pursue this calling, doors opened. Oh. They flew open. And I was accepted I to the master's program, master's of divinity program at McCormick Seminary at the University of Chicago. And I was just, you know, and and I loved it. I loved seminary. I loved learning. How did your so were your parents ecstatic at this choice? <clears throat> My parents or? didn't know at first. When so, I went to seminary, they just thought, "Oh, he's had a spiritual awakening." <laughs> oh my gosh! You know, oh, he's come over to our side, you know, at last, and all of that. <gasps> and so I came out to them actually. Um, when I went to visit them on my first spring break from seminary and, um, I went to see them and, and spent, and I stayed with them and, and every morning we watched Phil Donahue. 
We are sponsored by Dream Dinners. Dreamdinners.com or mouseandweens.com. Click the link and do enter Mouse and Weens 99 at checkout if you're in the local area of Poway or San Marcos down here in San Diego. And you will get $99 off your first full order and free delivery if you choose it. You guys, Dream Dinners is a meal preparation service that makes dinner time so easy. I love doing them with my family. My husband can cook them up really quick. It's just a wonderful thing with good, healthy food that recreates meal time for us. It's, it's given us lots of family time back. Dream Dinners uses high quality foods. They cut, they prep, they bag it up for you. All you have to do is thaw out your meal, look at the recipe card, and pop it in the oven or stovetop, and it's ready usually in 20, 30 minutes. So do go to dreamdinners.com, look for your location, enter Mouse and Weens 99, and let them know we sent you. Enjoy this wonderful life hack at Dream Dinners. Every morning we watched Phil Donahue, uh, the, the talk show. Yeah, he, he's the one who taught Oprah. Uh, oh, how yeah, to, he was. He's a great guy. I really he's a great like guy. Yeah. He's wonderful. Yeah. So anyway, this one day uh, we were I was there with my parents and uh, the guest was Anita Bryant, who, mm. for your listeners who might not know, uh, waged. A, well, first of all, she was a Miss America runner up who had a singing career and and peddled orange juice. She was the orange juice lady on TV and uh, Florida orange juice specifically. And uh, Miami is in Dade County, Florida. And Dade County had passed uh, an LGBT rights ordinance. And she was incensed. And she mounted a campaign to repeal the gay rights ordinance in Miami. And uh, she became the symbol of the, 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 I mean, there was a huge amount of friction going on in this country around gay rights and LGBT rights. And, you know, there were, there were victories here, there, and everywhere in surprising places sometimes. Florida. And, and, and Florida. And then fights to repeal the, the rights, like, uh, and Anita Bryant led the charge. Mm, wow. And so- Was she the first real, like, uh, famous person anti- on that side? Well, or were there question. several? I'm more? sure there were others before that. Okay, but keep going. I'm sorry. I mean, this was this was when gay rights was new. You know, Stonewall, the big riot that started the whole gay rights movement, started was just in 1969, and this was 1976. So not all that much later, and uh, so people. Actually, Anita Bryant had the effect of bringing people out of the closet in droves because people were so incensed. Mm, Look at that. Worked against her. (laughs) Oopsie. Harvey Milk, the San Francisco supervisor, the first openly gay uh, person elected to office in this country. He was saying, we got to come out. The way to fight this is for all of us to come out so that people can see, oh, my God, my sister is gay. Or, oh, my God, my brother's trans. Uh, or, you like know, the whatever, Me Too movement, put a human yeah. face. Uh, and the Me Too movement, exactly. And, and so Anita Bryant and Harvey Milk, uh, they, they galvanized this whole surge of tens of th- hundreds of thousands of people coming out in the 70s. And the 70s was a great time to be gay. Mm-hmm. I mean, the parades, the demonstrations, the bars, the baths. Oh. Discos. We were in San Francisco. Yeah. And oh yeah. Castro okay. was. So we were <laughs> living in our suburban bubble, about thirty minutes away, but in little oh, okay. kids. But still, yeah yeah, yeah. 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 But we we got to see a lot of the 
yeah, the fun. Yeah, we would go to San Francisco in sure. on the weekends in the early '80s, and then uh, we had yeah. Aunt Karen's brother was gay. He was, you know, with his his dude the whole time, and that was it was always in our yeah. life around. So yeah, that's that's wonderful. Yeah, it was nice. Really yeah, beautiful. yeah. So so this oh, was happening. I was coming out. Uh, that I was telling you the coming out. Story. Right, right. Yeah, Peter Bryant was on Phil Donahue, and I couldn't help but make comments like, "Oh, that woman." Or, oh, that, oh, God, she's the Antichrist, you know. Or, I mean, I made my displeasure with her known. And it was obvious. And that night after dinner, we were sitting around the dining room table. And my, fa um, I, my father asked me, do you think you might be a homosexual? Wow. <laughs> and I went, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Pass the potatoes? Yes. Um, I said yes. And wow. My mother started crying and, and uh, my father reached across the table and took my hand and said, you're my son and I love you and nothing can change that. That's so great. That's beautiful. And after I'd gone back to Chicago, he wrote me this beautiful handwritten letter saying much the same thing. Aww, that's yeah. wonderful. Now, do you think your mom reacted uh, out of shame or was it fear for you or just knowing that your path is a little bit harder did she come to accept it or well she told me that she had read a letter uh she had been going through my stuff in my bedroom and found a letter that a gay friend of mine had written to me saying you just got to come out you know uh, oh, okay great out here you know <laughs> and, uh, the water's fine and she knew and she knew at that point. And, you know, mothers sometimes just sense those oh, things, yeah. just like fathers do, you know, and, and mother was, mother was from the school of, oh my God, I caused it. Um, mm. You know, I'm the, yeah, I'm moms the, do that. And, and yeah. And, and on a lot of issues. Uh, and, uh, and so, you know, I worked very hard at helping her understand that it wasn't her fault, that it wasn't anybody's fault. It wasn't a matter of fault. It was a matter of joyously embracing who I am. And she never quite got there. I mean, she, she expressed her love for me and she, you know, she's, she gave verbal support to me and all of that, but, uh, um, it was hard for her. And, uh, you know, so yeah, anyway. yeah, yeah. Well, jo Joelle relates. Well, as a mom with yeah three kids who not Joelle, yeah, yeah. they they're you know on great paths, but every little stray, you do worry as a mom. You know, is he being what? too aggressive? Is he not caring about people enough? You know, every little thing. So. Yeah, and you do kind of. Or is there? I rem oh, I'm sorry. I remember a mom just saying, "Well, I just want your life to be easy," and it would, you know, certain things would just, you know, moms want their kids to walk through life with ease, not mm -hmm. being ridiculed or shamed. And that was exactly. definitely on my mother's mind, on my mother's yeah. heart, was that I was going to be destined to be very lonely, and mm -hmm. you know that, I, and. She was very upset that I would never provide her with a daughter-in-law and grandchildren. Were you the only son? No, I had an older brother, uh, just the one sibling. And uh, he was married and his first wife died after uh, well, two years after she gave birth to a daughter mm. who was 
my niece, Jen. And um, uh, Jen and I are very close to this day. Um, anyway, then he remarried. Uh, neither wife really wanted to take care of mom the way that mom had taken care of her mother-in-law. Mm. And so she was, she got kind of bitter and angry about resentful mm. about yeah. that. Yeah. That's rough. Yeah. And, and she always thought I would be a really good father. And I always wanted to be a father. And I, you know, and, but back in the seventies, you didn't hear a lot about gay couples adopting children or having children. Right. So we watched your Tammy Faye interview. Oh, you did. <laughs> yes. And in the interview, you, you talked about like, yeah, people now are starting to adopt kid like gay couples are adopting children now that so it must have just been later. happening mid 80s or? that was yeah tammy faye's interview with me was 1985 wow uh, so, so it was happening yeah, yeah so, so it was like nine years later how and did you come to be on her show because now yeah how did you you're kind of famous steve you are. i just have to tell the viewers oh, out there uh, and this is just more. one and it and you know when the feature film comes out in September um, about Tammy Faye with Jessica Chastain as Tammy Faye and Randy Havens from the TV series, Stranger Things is playing me. No one's ever heard of that, Steve. Can, no. <laughs> <laughs> this is so. He's playing you. I can't exciting. believe that. No. <laughs> so he was the AV teacher, right? I'm just looking at the picture. He, he was, uh, he was, I think he was the science teacher. Yeah. I, yeah. He ran yeah. the AV club. He was the science teacher. Yeah, right. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah. he's attractive. Yeah, he's well, thank you. Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> well, all right, so we're jumping ahead, but you yeah, yeah. fill in the gaps to how you got to Tammy Faye from kind of coming out and then and then we need to talk about the well, movie. I mean, we talked about we talked about my getting sick in 82 and being sick through and in 1985 when I did live to see 1985 my doctor invited me to be patient number one on the very first antiviral they ever tried against HIV. It was an experimental chemotherapy. And, uh, and I was the first patient to go on the drug. And within six weeks, my KS lesions had disappeared and my lymphoma, stage four lymphoma had gone into complete remission. And so they put 89 other people on the drug around the country. It killed a percent, a large percentage of them. Uh, and, it was a rugged, rugged drug, and it very nearly killed me. And I did have a near-death experience uh, at the, the end of October of 1985, and it was... Can you tell me I, about... You know, my favorite thing in the world is near-death experience. She has watched oh, I love over 300... What? Wow, okay. Five, five times, yeah. You made me throw my scarf. Five <laughs> times? <laughs> What can you tell? Oh my God. Uh, just one of the most profound ones. Sure. Well, the first happened? one was perhaps the most profound because I'd never had one before, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, um, I was terrified of dying alone, you know. And uh, the sermon destroyed my adrenal glands, and they didn't figure that out until it was almost too late. And they called me to come into the hospital immediately. And I was sleeping twenty-two hours a day, and and losing weight I didn't have to lose oh, and, uh, and I was just a skeleton with skin you know mm. and they brought me into the hospital and uh, before they 
before they gave me the drug I needed uh, to deal with the adrenal insufficiency, they, they uh, you know, did all these tests in the red blanket room, the triage room. And uh, they, they tried to draw blood from my left arm and uh, my blood wasn't flowing. And they, and they said, pump your hand, Steve, pump your hand to get the blood flowing. Uh, and I looked down on the scene and I w- wondered why he wasn't pumping his hand like they were telling him to. And then so I you were just floating over yourself. You were in the room looking down. And <gasps> I heard them say, Oh my God, his blood pressure, his blood pressure when he, when I came in was 50 over 30 and it dropped rapidly and then disappeared. Mm. And I went, Whoo. I, I remember the feeling of leaving my body. Uh, and, and uh, I was, at peace, like I've never known. The, I mean, that peace that I felt when I was called to the ministry was just a fraction of the peace that I felt. Mm-hmm. I like I finally understood everything about myself and the world, and you know, I just didn't. I didn't have it. I I I felt whole. Wow. I felt whole, and I was surrounded by loving beings. Uh, kind of loving shadows, and there was this great light, and 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 um, one of the one of the shadows spoke to me and said, "Steve Arino," and I realized it was the mailman who'd brought us our mail when I was little, and he used to call oh. me Steve. And you know, and then I was back in my body, and I was pissed. i've heard that okay can i ask you a couple questions was was anyone so they were beings and shadows okay can you bring back anything that you felt what is the purpose of life what are we doing here or was it just in a flash Uh, no 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 no, no. it was it i i realized that dying alone was irrelevant because we're never alone for one thing we're surrounded by loving beings from the other side? From the other side. Okay. Um, and the love that we have experienced in life with people, whether they're still with us or not, that love is what is eternal. And that is what we carry with us when we leave our bodies. Um, and I realized, too, that the most important thing in life is relationship and really looking in each other's eyes and seeing each other. Uh, and that was what, what I learned and that there was nothing to fear in dying. So you are not afraid at all? Not afraid anymore. Mm-hmm. I hear that from everyone who's had the near-death experience. It's amazing. I think so, I when I was in the hospital room, our dad, Steve, died in 2000. And uh-huh. I was in the room with him when he passed, and he did have a moment of, you know, waking back up. He died of kidney cancer, yeah. but he had a moment of clarity right before he passed, and he almost sat up and said, we all just love each other. We all just love each other. And I really do think he saw something and yeah. came back to pass that message on, and then he passed. But uh-huh. So yeah. I'm all verklempt. So love is all there is. <laughs> it really is. Were right. It's true. Right. It's true. That's right. Wow. How have you carried that? Is it something that is deeply within you now, or yeah. do you forget? No, I, well, I forget, you know. Yeah. But I, you're but human. <laughs> I'm human, but um, I think I'm a much more loving human being than I used to be. Did you change anything when you came back from that in your life? 
some people are vegetarian. Some people volunteer more. Some people. So it wasn't like that. Okay. No, no. I, it was more. I paid attention to the people I loved more. Mm-hmm. Got it. And I valued them more. And you were a That's chaplain amazing. in hospital too. And right. Well, first I got well. I mean, yeah. well, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> we're jumping all over. So, so I was in complete remission, but I was dying mm-hmm. uh, because of the toxic side effects of the drug. Um, and that's when I went on the Tammy Faye Baker show. Okay. Two weeks after that near-death experience wow. that I described to you. So they, she was already calling you a miracle. Yeah. This was a miracle that you survived mm-hmm. through this drug and your cancer went into full remission after four stage? That's crazy. How did she find you? What was... Well, apparently her she decided... That she wanted, she and her husband Jim Baker decided that they wanted to uh, have uh, a a gay man with AIDS on the show for her to interview. They didn't think that it would be good for for the interview to be on of uh, a main PTL, you know, the the flagship show. Um, they so they they had me come on. Well, they they decided they would have someone come on the Tammy Faye's little talk show called Tammy's House Party. Uh, and, um, so the, her producer searched, they really wanted to be the first televangelist to ever interview a gay man with AIDS. Okay. And, and so she did. And, and so her producer called all over the Southeast and, and the, the Eastern seaboard, uh, and couldn't find anybody who was willing to come on the show and talk to her. You know? Wow. Why was that? It was too- well, because, you know, televangelists had a reputation for hating gay people. And mm-hmm. AIDS was God's punishment against us for being gay. Yeah, I mean that was a real dynamic of televangelism, you know, and and conservative Christianity in general. Anyway, they wanted to have a more affirming interview uh, than what other televangelists might do. So uh, anyway, they they couldn't find anybody. They finally called the AIDS Project in Atlanta. And, and the fella who was the executive director there, Ken South, Reverend Ken South, had been a parishioner of mine in Atlanta, and, and we were still in touch, and, and he referred them to me. So the producer, uh, he called me first to, tell, to ask me if it was okay to give my contact info, and I said, sure. So that's how it happened. Um, and were you nervous? Did you have to grapple with this idea of going uh, In talking to them, I, I told the producer that I did not want to have to debate um, homosexuality in the Bible, you know, Mm -hmm. that I will be clear that I'm gay and I'm proud and I'm a gay Christian. Mm -hmm. How do you think she handled it? And everyone should go to YouTube to watch this. Absolutely. I'm going to link everything in our show notes too, but. Oh, okay. Good, good, good. Yeah. Well, did she genuinely care? I guess. Oh yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm really clear that she did. And, and she was very genuine in her um, caring and concern. And, you know, she asked a lot of what you and I might consider to be stupid questions, you know, or just like, you know, oh, come on, really? You really? But it was the 80s. Yeah, but it was the 80s and people didn't know, especially her audience. And so she spent the first 15 minutes talking about being gay and, um, 
you know, a, a reporter recently told me that, that he suspected that uh, she was dealing with issues in her own marriage in trying to feel me out about, uh, you know, how can you be sure you're gay? And, you know, maybe you just haven't given women a fair try. And Was her husband? Did he come out? No, he did not come out. But her, his, her husband was reputed to have, rumored to have, homosexual liaisons. Mm. This was Jimmy Baker Jimmy. and Jim Baker. Yeah. Did Jim Baker, sorry. Yeah. What, something came out in the news recently. Did he, did they have, this might have been someone else, the pool boy that they were having. Oh, yeah, yeah. Secret sex. That's somebody else, though. We won't go anywhere. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, okay. It wasn't, it wasn't them, I don't think. So, you know, I, I have to tell you a quick story, though, about, about the, the whole, you know, Jim Baker being a homosexual thing. You know, I don't know that he was, but. Um, I was having dinner with uh, a friend of mine at her father's house. And, um, and uh, my friend, this was 1987 when Jim and Tammy were being, uh, you know, destroyed basically by mm. Jerry Falwell. And, and uh, Jim, um, uh, my, my friend told her father, you know, Steve was interviewed by Tammy Faye Baker uh, just 18 months ago. And, and, um, and, uh, and his father said, oh, really? Uh, well, so do you think that, uh, that uh, Jim Baker is gay? And I said, well, you know, my gay friends and I have talked about that. And we, we, uh, we've decided that no self-respecting homosexual would let a woman wear makeup like that. <laughs> uh, and and, the, and the fa- uh, my friend's father said right away, well, that's just the point, isn't it? He wasn't a self-respecting homosexual. Uh, there you go. That's funny. Interesting. Smart father. Smart father. Well, and she has, since your interview, so she did the interview with you. You were able to explain to her what you're dealing with. And it really did kind of break down some stigmas about HIV and AIDS. Is that right? Oh, it did. And about gay issues. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was the first time a televangelist had done such a positive, affirming uh, interview. And she got in a lot of trouble for it. She She was crucified for doing that. Is that what you were talking about with Falwell? Yeah, that's one of the reasons why Falwell brought them down, I'm told. He was such a dirtbag. Her son, their son, Jim and Tammy's son, Jay Baker, is a friend of mine. And uh, 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 he's told me that that my interview with her changed not only her, but the whole family. And uh, she started bringing Jay and his sister, Tammy Sue, to MCCs, to, to LGBT events, pride parades. Uh, she even brought them to hospitals and hospices to visit people with AIDS. And she and Jay told me it changed him, you know, because of, of what transpired between me and Tammy. See, and this is so beautiful. You got the calling to do what you did. You ended up on that show. If it were someone else, you never know if the person would have handled the interview as well, but you were able to really represent in this beautiful, open-hearted way and change people's lives. That's great. Testimony to you, Steve. That's Yeah, I've, I, you know, I, all, all th- through the years, I've had people come up to me every once in a while, and actually quite quite often, and say things like, you know, I was 12 years old when your interview with Tammy Faye was on TV and my mother always had PTL on and I was 12 and I was really grappling with, you know, whether I would live, whether I would not, whether I would kill myself. Wow. And, and I decided not to because of your 
interview, I decided I could be gay and Christian. Mm. And so thank you. And that's amazing. I've, I've had all kinds of people tell me similar kinds of things, you know. I just saw suicide rates for people who are gay. It's crazy. Maybe we can insert statistics because it's... Yeah, especially it's yeah. mental it's better now. Mental health month too. And that was oh, one of my questions was, was mentally, you went from death's door a couple times, right? Because you got well and then you got sick again. Um, yeah. It's got to do a number on you mentally. Yeah. <laughs> Understatement so. of the year. Do you have yeah. advice for people who, I mean, because now that we're looking at the time of COVID and people have lost loved ones or are dealing with sickness themselves, um, it's very similar, this whole pandemic kind of feeling. And then sure. people that oh. are against it, you know, this division, it's it's kind of crazy. Yeah. So just curious if you have advice for people going through things. I mean, what was it that kept you kept you kind of going or what were, what did you go through? I, I can't imagine. Well, my doctor when I was when she diagnosed me with the stage 4 lymphoma and KS and AIDS, she told me, you know, if there is going to be one in a million people that survive AIDS, why not believe that you're that one and act accordingly? And uh, I, I bought it. I took it. I, wow. I ran with it. What was her name? Alexandra Levine. Uh, and she's a top-notch scientist and researcher. She was the, the head researcher. I don't know what you call them, but she was the, the, in charge of the Suriman mm -hmm. trials, the now notorious Suriman trials okay. that I was on. And um, anyway, so, and then she also said, your mission, should you choose to accept it, uh -huh, <laughs> is, to, um, is to stay alive long enough for us to find a way to manage this disease. She didn't say cure. She, I remember back in 84, she said, we'll find a way to manage it someday. I don't know about cure, but we'll manage it. And they have. And I did. I did stay that alive. That is so smart. That, is, that gave you the shred of hope. Yeah. Probably oh, absolutely. Keep, and, yeah. and, and that's what I, you know, when I got well in 87, um, my denomination, the MCC denomination made me the field director of AIDS ministry for the entire denomination. Yeah. And I started traveling all over the world to all these different MCCs and uh, teaching and preaching about hope in the face of hopelessness. Wow. Okay, now does this? Where does the fairy wand come in? There's ah. the Smithsonian has your fairy wand. Yes, because yes. I was you're honored so a couple of years ago that, that the Smithsonian uh, asked for uh, my work, uh, a lot of what I'd written and resources I'd developed and that sort of thing. And at the and I thought, you know, um, I carried this fairy, not this fairy wand, but I carried a fairy wand just like it, only pink. <laughs> um, to all the places I preached and taught and lectured. And I would hold this up and say, you know, um, remember Peter Pan where Peter teaches us that fairies are dying because people don't believe in fairies anymore. Well, a lot of good fairies are dying from AIDS. And this is to remind you to believe in yourself as a good fairy to believe in each other as good fairies so that you believe enough so that you will do the work of healing. And whether you heal into life or heal into death, I don't know. But if you do the work of healing, amazing things will happen even as you approach death.
you know, and, and in my work as a hospice chaplain the, at the AIDS hospice here in Elysian Park, uh, the, um, they, I, I would help people die. I found I had a great gift. I mean, I knew what it, I know what it's like to be on my deathbed. Mm -hmm. And so I had a, a way of understanding uh, people who were dying that not many have. And so I was able to bring that to the bedsides of people who were dying. And, you know, and people believe different things about what happens at death. Um, and I, it was not my job to try and persuade them of, you know, one thing or another, but to learn what they believed and try to support that belief with hope. Uh, for instance, if people believe that death is the end, that's it, kaput, over. Um, hope for them means that they are finally going to be out of pain, mm -hmm. that the pain will be over, the suffering will be through. And, you know, of course, the traditional beliefs in heaven and hell that a lot of people in our culture buy into. Uh, you know, I had any number of guys on their deathbed say, I'm going to hell. I know it because I'm gay. Mm. So I would try to help them change their mind about that Good. Uh, and understand that they were loved Good. and yeah. that, uh, God loved them and they would be fine. Right. Even at what death. was the harder one to change? Was it the, what was, it must be that to change the mind of someone who believes they're going to hell versus someone who just feels like they're an atheist and poof. Or yeah. a Catholic with purgatory, right? I've heard that's just right. Well, you know, that was hard because that is so deeply ingrained in people. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, it's been said that, that the God you believe in is the God that you learned about at your mother's knees when you were three. Wow. And that, that deep down inside, that's the God that you really believe in. Mm. Wow. You know, for people to just change their mind. Yeah, um, not going to happen. It, it wasn't going to happen. But I could help them by being present with them with love, with the kind of oh. love that I experienced in death. Steve. Looking in their eyes. Oh. Being with them and seeing them and letting them see me. That's amazing. You are an angel. You're an angel on this earth. You really are. No, no, I don't know. You're a fairy. We'll say I'm a fairy. good fairy. <laughs> You're a good fairy. It's a very good fairy. Oof. Yay! I'm a fairy. <laughs> so we get to see you portrayed in a film that I looked yeah. up on IMDb. It's supposed to come out September 2021 this year. September 24th of 2021. Wow, yes. a real date. And you could talk about it now because we we're yeah. going to interview Steve before and he couldn't talk about it. So I'm so excited yeah. you yes, could talk about it. Yes. So tell us the process yeah. and, and are you excited? Have you seen anything? Well, I, you know, I didn't know about it until Jay Baker, uh, Jim and Tammy's son, told me uh, a year or so ago that there was going to be a film starring Jessica Chastain uh, that would feature my interview. Okay, can you say who is she, what is she from? So all the viewers know. Jessica Chastain. Uh, a lot of people know her from her Academy Award win for Best Actress in Zero Dark Thirty. Uh, Miss Sloan is another one that a lot of people have seen that love, love her in that. Um, she does a lot of very challenging kind of characters, and she's a great actress. I think has had four Oscar nominations, I believe, and two wins. Yeah, beautiful um, redhead, right? She's, beautiful yeah. redhead. Yeah. She's gorgeous. Gorgeous. She was in uh, Terrence Malick's Tree of Life and uh, 
Uh, oh, she's just done a ton of stuff. Yeah. And Look her up. There. Yeah. Look her up. And Andrew Garfield, I saw he was in it. Yeah, and he's, he's playing Jim Baker. Yep, the yeah. amazing Spider-Man himself. <laughs> so and uh, Vincent D'Onofrio is playing the the villain Jerry Falwell. Oh my God. Uh, I don't know if he's the villain in the movie, but you know he's he's the one that brings him down, um, yeah. brings the, the Empire down. And uh, Randy Havens plays me. <gasps> I love that. It. Is crazy. So what is your? Do you have an idea of? Where you are in the storyline, did they tell you anything? Jessica tweeted me privately that um, my interview was the main center of the film. Wow. What that means, I don't know. I haven't <sighs> seen it. I haven't seen a script. But she told me that she decided to do the, the, this movie because of my interview. Wow. Oh, that just that gave me chills. And she's a producer of it, so she she put it right there in the middle. Amazing, uh, apparently. So, it, I mean, it's such a pivotal thing for so many people, and it, it turned Christianity probably upside down. And uh, oh, it did. yeah, so I, I've had, it's a great yeah, story. Yeah, I've had people tell me who worked at PTL back then that everybody was talking about it for like two years. Wow. Yeah. Uh, what's PTL? Praise the Lord, PTL Network. Uh, it was Jimmy Tammy's 24-hour satellite network. And they were freaking huge. Yeah. They, were, they were huge, huge, huge. Like, I don't know if people understand. Yeah, they were the largest, uh, the richest, the biggest televangelists in the world at that time. And they had the largest audience. They had the most bucks. Uh, they built a, a, a water park to go along with the timeshare condominiums that they built mm. right outside the studio. I mean, it was all called Heritage Village USA. And, uh, and you know, that's one of the reasons why Jim got in a lot of trouble was for selling Money. more timeshares than he, than oh, there were. Okay. Okay. Uh, wow. Uh, and then, so the, people. do you happen to know how many people saw that interview with you and Tammy? I have Tammy? no idea. Yeah. I'm sure it was millions. Yeah. Oh, and I saw some somewhere billions. You had the only copy of it, is that right? For I did, a yeah. yeah, yeah. And and uh, uh, I was fortunate that one of the MCC pastors in in uh, I think she was in Fort Worth or Arlington, Texas. She watched Jim and Tammy every morning, and when she saw that I was going to be on it, she put in a VHS tape and recorded it and sent it to me. And if it weren't for that, we wouldn't have it. You're wow. kidding. They didn't record at the time their what? own show? That's crazy they didn't record their own show. Oh, I'm sure the they network. did, but when PTL fell, everything was lost. Probably in the hands of the FBI somewhere in some closet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I mean, that's this is amazing yeah. that you were instrumental in the shift in a lot of people's lives just from that interview. I and had no good idea. for her, too. I had no idea either. I mean, I remember coming home from the interview itself that day, and my neighbor, Lucia, came over, and uh, we sat there and laughed uproariously about my having gone on Tammy Faye's house party. <laughs> and, and I told her, oh, my God, I did a terrible job. I should have done this. I should have said that. I shouldn't have said this. And Oh, my God, I was so oh. embarrassed about it. I'm so glad nobody will ever see it except for <gasps> And look where it's led you. 
Yeah, I know. And, and Jessica are. Chastain is now. Oh my God, that's so crazy. Yeah. And and yeah. Tammy Faye has become an icon of sorts in the gay community too because of Absolutely. that. Was it because of that. that? That was the beginning. That was the beginning of it. Uh, and, and and you know, people don't know my name generally, but they know that Tammy Faye interviewed this gay pastor with AIDS. Um, way back in the 80s. And so, um, and she became iconic after that because she, after that interview, as I said, she started taking uh, her children around to gay events and to the MCCs and auspices and that sort of thing. And then when PTL fell, it was the gay community that embraced her and apparently helped her survive all of that. And she she became a cult figure, you know, the grand marshal of, of LGBT pride parades. Yeah, and, and wasn't there, she was in Palm Springs or something, and I know there's a big gay community there. And yeah. Exactly. And she had a TV show with uh, that uh, talk show with Jim J. Bullock, who was an oh, I love openly, that. Gay, openly gay, flamboyantly mm-hmm. gay man. Yes. Uh, I remember and, that. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, she became she she became iconic, and it all started with that interview. Yeah. In the game. yeah. So yeah, we'll look for that. That's the eyes of Tammy Faye, you know, with her big eyelashes, of course, and the campy makeup, which I'm sure goes well with her singing and dancing and her championing right. of uh, LBGTQ stuff. That's great. So yeah. what else can we look for you? Where can we find you? You've got. Um, Oh well, my goodness! I you know I'm being interviewed all over the place. I know you have. I looked up your list. NPR and oh my god, it's amazing! Oh my god, Steve! I mean, and they all want to talk about Jimmy, Jim, and Tammy for the most part. Uh, Really? Yeah, and uh, I don't know why this resurgence in interest in her right now with the movie and all these interviews. The interviews have nothing to do with the movie, but they still want to talk about Tammy Faye. Yeah. But what do you want to talk about? Because you have a book you just yes. wrote. I'm imagining I'm, I'm you would want to. I'm working on my memoir. I'm on my third draft. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And I think I'm finally getting it. You know, it, I I spent COVID writing this. Yes. I can't believe you were doing it every day. Every day. I would say Monday through Friday or Saturday sometimes too. And you did not leave the house. You were, you stayed locked in. I was locked down. I, you know, I was locked. Down. Is your health, are you still immunocompromised or how are you now? Or- Somewhat, but yeah. I'm, I'm very healthy for someone who's had AIDS for 40 years. Yeah. You know, I'm very healthy. And, um, you know, considering what I went through, I got very sick again in 2012. And uh, that's when I had my last three near-death experiences. Oh um, uh, anyway, I was very sick with pancreatitis and a whole bunch of other things. Mm. And very near, you know, and anyway, I was telling a reporter about this and, and how I kept coming back. And she said, if it's so wonderful, why do you keep coming back? <laughs> and I just blurted out without thinking about it. Cause I love life. Oh. I, I don't want to miss anything. <laughs> you know? That's it. And you're helping so many people too. Well, you know, that's a, that's a lovely thing that's happened, but, uh, uh, I just I I love singing and dancing with the gay men's chorus of Los Angeles, and I love Ugh. all of my friends that I meet and on Zoom and you know all over the place. And I mean, it's just remarkable. And uh, I'm so grateful today for the good health 
the fact that I survived, I mean, each new birthday is a triumph. I wasn't wow. supposed to see 33. So yeah. 69 feels pretty damn good. That's right. I know. Uh, 1985 to now. Amazing. What a beacon of hope you are. You really are. And Julianne talks so yeah. highly of you. She's been talking about you I forever. I love you. It's, it's amazing. And just to see you and your community, that's, that's so wonderful. I love it. What a story. Yeah. Now, are you still doing, are you still preaching at MCC too? Occasionally. Okay. Occasionally. Yeah. Yeah. I preached at Jay Baker's church a few weeks ago. Nice. Uh, he invited me to preach at his church, uh, which is in Seattle. But of course, you know, we Virginia. can go to churches all over the world now. Um, and I preached right here at my wow. laptop. I love it. And, and it was fantastic. I mean, full circle kind of experience to have him introduce me and then Aww. to get to talk about what that interview meant to me, you know, after the Tammy Faye Baker interview, which was in November, um, I got sicker and sicker and sicker with uh, the Suramen side effects. I went blind. I, I was paralyzed on the left side of my body. I lost all my hair all over my body. And, and I wasted away to nothing but a skeleton with skin again. And uh, everybody was convinced that I was dying. My cancers were still in complete remission, but everybody was convinced I was dying. Well, Tammy Faye had sent me her albums, which were on cassette tapes in those days. Uh, and, uh, and she sent me these cassette tapes with her albums of singing all these Christian hymns and everything. And most of it was like, uh, uh but, <laughs> you know, there was this one song she sang, which really engaged me and got me in my heart. And it was, don't give up on the brink of a miracle. Don't give up on the brink of a miracle. Don't give in, God is still on the throne. Don't give up on the brink of a miracle. Don't give up, remember you're not alone. And I sang that with her over and over and over, and I sang it by myself over and over and over again. And uh, I got my miracle. Wow. I started to get well. And I was well for 20 years after that. Aww. I love that. Yeah. There's got to be healing in, in music and connection with people. Oh, and and that's part of your true heart. So, oh my gosh. And the reminder of your near-death experience. I mean, that was what you knew to be true. I'm going to make meaning out of that as you had this near-death experience. And that was it. You're never alone. And we're not alone. That's Ever. right. And, and it's so hard really to remember that sometimes. What's really important is the connection of the heart, mm -hmm. connection of the heart. How do we do that, Steve? Will you give us a little of your ministry? How do we become, we're so caught up in our lives and our craziness, and now we're going back into the world? Well, you, I mean, you know, people for people who are still wearing masks uh, or people who aren't wearing masks, you look in people's eyes and you try to see them and you and just focus on loving the person you see in their eyes that soul and that way you can engage with a homeless person who may have been asking you for money you can look in their eyes and see the human being in there and love them what about and someone you really don't like 
and that has wronged you? What do uh-huh. you do with well, uh, <laughs> that's a I know question. this is a hard question, but I really do wonder yeah. when someone, yeah. no, that's the hardest one. It's true. Um, you know, I think that it's important to realize that at the end, you want to feel, you want to feel peace with everyone. And it's important to realize your part in why you don't get along with that person or why you don't like them. You look at your own part in that. Um, my mother and I have had, uh, I mean, she's gone now, but she, she and I had uh, a lot of difficulty in, in our relationship in, in the later years of her life. You know, I had to realize that uh, uh, it was hard for her to have me for a son, you know, <laughs> It was really hard for her with all of my frailties and my humanity and, and, and all of that. And that helped me love her and be with her as she died. I was there with her for the last 10 days. And that's where I made amends to her, you know, and so I was able to be there and love her. And I hope she felt that love. But what was important was that I felt loving towards her mm-hmm. and I made those amends and that gave me peace about our relationship. That's important. That's beautiful. And that's the forgiveness and seeing the humanity and everybody. Good for you. Yeah. It's hard sometimes. Yeah. That's amazing. Oh, Steve, you're an inspiration. You're a beautiful person. You're famous. Uh, and almost. <laughs> and you have gorgeous hair. That's right. Oh, it's natural. You, that's right. That's, that's what's really important. <laughs> that's, that's He's wagging it in the air, waving it in the air. If you guys want to see this, we are going to post this on YouTube. So we'll put everything in our show notes, too. I'm going to list your bio because it's so impressive. The awards you've won, you've you've been with presidents. I mean, you've been so yeah. recognized and yeah. we're honored you're with us thank you so much well, thank you it's an honor to be with you i know my friend allison arngren had a great time Aww. being on your show she just really enjoyed it and said to say hi oh good oh yes. we love uh, her she brought me some homemade apple pie today of course oh she gosh. did was she wearing a bonnet too this is nelly olson we're talking <laughs> about nelly so <laughs> yeah no she wasn't wearing a bonnet when oh, she okay <laughs> but she was wearing a mask that said uh that had a picture of her as nelly olson and oh with the caption what would nelly do I love it. Yeah, <laughs> that became a huge meme yeah. recently. Yeah, what would Nelly do? Yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah. She had a resurgence. I oh, love it. what a beautiful person! A and she was a big friend. part of the AIDS movement. That's how she met you originally. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's right. AIDS Project Los Angeles back in the eighties. Amazing. Wow. And you married Aww. her and her husband, right? I yep. did. I officiated, I and that. I at the at the end, I pronounced them poof. You're a husband and wife. <laughs> With this very one. And I threw fairy dust over them. I literally You married married by a fairy. I love it. Married by a fairy. That's right. <laughs> a good fairy. Uh, any last amazing. words from anyone? Any last stories? Any last well, do you want me to sing the Medical Anomaly song? If you want, yes, yeah, that would be a great closer I love, for I us. I love singing it. I love singing yes. that. Okay. Here it goes. 
I am the very model of a medical anomaly. I've had KS lymphoma, hepatitis, thrush, and CMB, bacterial pneumonia, and adrenal insufficiency, all this and more because I caught a virus that's called HIV. And then I took an antiviral just like chemotherapy. It made me sick. My hair fell out. I suffered neurologically. But hey, it worked. It stopped all of the HIV activity. My lymphoma's in remission, and there is no more KS to see. Lymphoma's in remission, and there is no more KS Lymphoma's in remission and there is no more chaos to see. Lymphoma's in remission and there is no more chaos, chaos to see. Now many years have passed and I'm as healthy as a horse can be. It's certainly a miracle for anyone with faith to see. But still in journals, medical, in science and oncology, I am the very model of a medical anomaly. <laughs> Everybody, Steve oh. Peters, Aww. we love him. I don't know what... We love you. You that just made me cry, but it's uh, uh, it's it's joy also. Yes. Oh, well, yeah. it's I, faith. One of the members of the chorus who's had AIDS for a long time too came up to me afterwards and said, "AIDS in Gilbert and Sullivan? What? How did you ever put those two together?" Well, it worked for you. It works. That's work. Oh, just amazing. That's amazing. You are a miracle. You're a medical anomaly. And we love you so much. We're proud you came on our show. Thank you so much. I hope to meet you in real life real soon. I hope so. When things open up. Do you have a website or anywhere you'd like to send people to watch for your book coming out or? Well, um, I, you know, I don't. I don't really. I need, I mean, I'm on Facebook and Twitter and uh, Instagram. Um, and uh, people can find me there. Uh, yeah. And everyone can find us on mouseandweens.com. That's our main hub everywhere at Mouse and Weens. Then also find us over on Mouse and Weens. We have a Patreon site. We would love for you to visit and visit the wonderful Steve Peters. I will link everything in our show notes. And we appreciate all of you listeners. And we appreciate all of our guests. And you, I love you, Weens. You too, Steve. Have you. a lovely evening, everyone. Goodbye. And I look uh, into your eyes before we go and see your soul. <laughs> Goodbye. Eyeballs. Bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thanks so much. You've been listening to a podcast of the Podfix Network. Discover more audible gems like this at podfixnetwork.com. Make sure to catch up-to-the-minute network shenanigans by following at Podfix on Twitter, official underscore Podfix on Instagram, at Podfix Network on Facebook. And make sure to subscribe to Podfix Presents wherever you choose to find podcasts. The Podfix Network, artist owned and loved.